Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. We had a great party Friday night. Thank you, Norm and Joan, for your work and all the volunteers that we had, the cooks. It was great, great spirit of cooperation. Really great time. We are going to begin with the Gospel of John, chapter 18. We've got one verse to kick off. Uh, And we're about to get into very dark days for Jesus. The next several days will be extremely difficult for him, uh, culminating in the, in the crucifixion, terrible suffering, terrible persecution. Uh, and so I've entitled this section of study, uh, Triumph Through Tragedy. Uh, Triumph Through Tragedy. It is a very aspect of tragedy itself that will bring about triumph. And, and so this is what's going to separate Christianity from all the other religions in the world, uh, this aspect of triumphing through the very act of tragedy. John 18, verse 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it, and it is now going to be the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, And If you have thought about this in the past growing up and you thought that Jesus now will become a victim, uh, he's going to be suffering the vicissitudes of life, he effectively is being victimized by others, I'm going to prove to you that that's not the case, that Jesus is not a victim, that Jesus actually is the victor, Jesus is going to control all of these last aspects. Nothing is going to come the way of Jesus that Jesus has not fully acceded to uh, and committed to from the very foundation of the creation of this world. And so he's going to be uh, arrested and ultimately crucified. And so life at this point is dark. Uh, It's dark for him. It's dark for the uh, disciples. Um, and one of the things that I want you to realize, if, you're, if you think about the aspect of the disciples, here is their leader. They've spent three years with him. They recognize now that no one has ever been like him. He's the Messiah. They, they look at all the miracles that he's uh, performed. They see countless thousands of people coming towards him now uh, and believing in him. And now at the very height of his work, the very height of his ministry, he's going to be killed. He's going to be taken from them. And so this is a dark day for them as well. They don't understand this. Why is this going to happen? And so it's, it's unbelievable when you, we as human beings reflect on this, reflect on the darkness, reflect on the tragedy of this. Uh, but understanding that at the end of this, we triumph. We win. Uh, Jesus is going to take all of this tragedy and under the sovereign hand of God, Uh, it is going to become a triumph. And so it can really be argued that Christianity is the world's only religion that actually takes the tragedy of the human condition with full seriousness. And you see it here uh, encapsulated in the life of Jesus. Uh, And we do this every day. We recognize the fall of man, the tragedy of man, the, the cross itself, the pain and suffering of the cross, the bondage of the human will to evil, Um, and even the final judgment. All of these things are effectively are tragedies. And yet it is through the sovereign hand of God that these tragedies become victories. And that's going to be the lesson that we have today, uh, even as it affects 
your own life. And so we understand that it is the benevolent will of God, the God who loves you. And we talked about how, how significant and how deep and profound the love of God is for us. And so life may be dark because we're, no, you know, we're going to suffer just the same way the world suffers. But the difference is this, the world suffers randomly. We do not suffer randomly. When we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ, he holds us in his hand. Everything that we go through is is going to be at the will of God. Um, And so even when tragedy comes, even when it seems that the world is falling apart, um, and in every aspect of your life, even when you go and you get some of the darkest diagnoses from your doctor, I want to assure you that as a Christian, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. Now, we don't know how they work together. All right? If you were there with Jesus those last couple days, knowing what he was going to face, you wouldn't really think that there was going to be good, but yet there would be good because all of this would culminate on the cross and the cross would culminate in the resurrection. And so we today have the promise to be with God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That good that Jesus accomplished on the cross uh, endures itself to us today. And so uh, we understand the very purpose of the crucifixion was good news in itself. Well, you would say, how could a crucifixion be good news? Well, without the crucifixion, none of the promises that we spent studying several months on on John 17, the final discourse of Jesus Christ, none of those promises, none of those prayers would ever be effectual. None of them. It is because of the cross and subsequently the resurrection of Jesus Christ that all those promises that we went through, everything that Jesus talked about and prayed about for you and me are going to come to to reality. It is because of the cross and because of of the uh, resurrection. And so this is the point of understanding that Christ's death led to good. He triumphs through tragedy. That is the nature of Christianity. And so in the hands of God, the tragedy becomes the triumph. Uh, and that's effectively the, the study today and what I want to emphasize to you. Uh, and so without the tragedy, there is no triumph. Without the tragedy, there is no triumph. God uses the very aspect of the tragedy itself through his sovereign will to demonstrate how his purposes work in ways that confound us as human beings. Uh, And when you think about all the miracles, none of the miracles would really be effectual later on. They wouldn't have an everlasting effect, but for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right. All those sermons, all those promises all come to have life because Jesus rises from the dead. Can I have an amen on that? It is the is the resurrection itself that brings life to every aspect of this. And so here's the point. That is why we live in the light. We know that at the end of the day, we win. Christians win. We will be with Jesus. We will be with God because of that resurrection. And so even when you suffer, even when you're going through dark days, God is showing you through the very life of Jesus himself that, that in fact, uh, we will triumph through tragedy. And so John 18 begins with the departure of Jesus from Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane. John was in that party 
uh, the uh, three disciples that entered the garden that night. He was with Jesus so closely that he was one of the three to go off with Jesus and accompany Jesus while he prayed. And I want you to recognize how dark uh, and dismal that garden was that night as all the forces of evil were arrayed on Jesus to bring him to death right there. Satan would have liked nothing better than to kill Jesus right there before he had a chance to go to the cross. And so everything, every possible array that Satan could have, all the demonic powers, all of the mental aspects and the despair and despondency coming down on him. I want you to reflect on what it had to be like for Jesus. Look, he was like us in every way. He suffered everything that human beings suffer. Fully God, but fully man as he came to be with us in this world. And so this is such an important aspect of understanding Christ himself, looking at these dark days, looking at the tragedy that he would face, and, and being really uh, affected in his humanity. And that's one of the things that so many people don't, don't take into consideration. He was fully human as well. And just like you suffer from despair and despondency and pain, uh, Jesus is going to suffer this night as he recognizes, as he knows. He knows what's coming in two days. He knows what he's going to go through. He knows about the, the crucifixion. And so he knows that this is the, very, the veritable aspect of his mission to this world. This is why he came. He came for the cross. He signed up from this before the very creation of this world. He, God knew that he needed a savior in order for human beings to be able to come into the presence of God. He knew it. He told the Jewish people about it in Leviticus 16. He, he made it very clear on the high holy days what the Jews had to do in order to come into the presence of God, in order to be atoned. And when you see Leviticus 16 and all of the things that God had had. Um, commanded them to do in order to be washed on that one day so that they could come before God and have their sins forgiven. You recognize that they never could do it. It was impossible to do it. And so God finally uh, commands Jesus to step up and be the one perfect sacrifice. God himself, perfect in every way, allowing himself to be persecuted and put on that cross so that we here, all here, all who are really committed Christians who have given our hearts to God would someday be with God in heaven. And so you understand this becomes the seminal event in history. If Satan can defeat him now, this is where Satan will win. This is his planet. He has control over this planet. This is his world. And so he knows that Jesus is there. He knows where Jesus is going to go. And so he recognizes right there, even though we tried to derail Jesus from the beginning of his ministry, and you know those temptations, now it's his last chance. And so now what does he want to do? He wants to kill him there. Strike him there. Make him give up there. Make him despair as he considers what he's going to face. And so the very gates of hell are opened up. And now 
poured on Jesus. Oh, Lord, what a picture this is. Uh, And so the three disciples are with him, and Jesus asks a very simple thing. Pray for me. Pray with me during this time. And we see that, in fact, they cannot even do that. They cannot even pray with him without succumbing to to the forces of evil and the the very despairing power of Satan. I'd like you to turn uh, to Matthew 26, if you would. And one of the things that you find here is that the Gospel of John is written about 50 years after the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Martin and, uh, Matthew Mark, and Luke uh, are written probably in the late 30s into the 40s period of time. Uh, and they are written about 50 years before John will write the Gospel of John. And so John is not going to write a historic record of the humanity of Jesus. He believes that that's been done already with the synoptics. Instead, John is going to write a theological treatise uh, focusing on the divinity of Jesus, the things that he spoke about that made him divine, and all the aspects that become the very foundational precepts of our Christianity. And he did that 50 years later because he saw he saw that the very early church was starting to suffer cracks. So that is why we go back in terms of the historical factual record to the synoptics to look at some of the things that Jesus was suffering. Turn to Matthew 26. Let's look first at verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, Uh, that's uh, John and Andrew, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. If you don't think that Jesus is fully human, underline those verses. He is sorrowful and troubled. It is the veritable gates of hell being poured down on him. Uh, All of the demonic influences, everything that Satan could put on him, Jesus is experiencing. The mental depression knowing that what he would face. Can you imagine how how hard this had to be? Then he said to them, Jesus said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Uh, And you'd say, well, I don't understand this. What's going on? It's because he's God, and at the same time, he's fully human, and he knows what he's going to experience. He knows what the cross is like, and he is about, Satan is trying to crush him to death there. Crush him to death there. Make him die right there uh, in depression and despair, right there uh, in the garden. To the point of death, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus, what are you saying? That's right. Jesus is telling you that he is experiencing pain and sorrow and depression and mental torture, the likes of which no human being has ever, ever experienced. Because Satan knew, I want to kill him there. I want to stop him there. I want to keep him from going to the cross. Whatever we can do, whatever we can bring to bear, we need to do it there. And so Jesus then says, stay here and keep watch with me. Going, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. 
Jesus is the perfect supplicant, submitting to the will of God even there, knowing what he's going to face, knowing how dark it's going to be, knowing how terrible it is, knowing how tragic this whole experience is going to be. Jesus said, Lord, Father, if it's your will, take this away from me. If there's a way that I don't have to experience this suffering, take it away. But nevertheless, Lord, in your perfect will, I will do what I have to do in your will in order to submit to your mission. Oh, Lord, what an example this is to us. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I want you to recognize that the spirit of depression and darkness in that area was so prevalent that the human beings that accompanied Jesus could not stand it. They couldn't stay awake. Why do you think they couldn't stay awake? It was because of the darkness uh, and the demonic presence weighing down on them that they themselves were succumbing. Verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And so let's understand something. Jesus didn't try to evade it. He never tried to evade it. Jesus is, con- is in control of every aspect of his life right here until the end. And so uh, again, verse 43, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. And now you see it three times he's praying uh, as, as, he needs, and as he needs them to pray and support him. And so you see the, the sense of anguish and pain even before we get to the cross because Satan wanted it to destroy him there. I want you to turn also to Luke 22, another account on this that's, that's uh, profound. Luke 22. Actually, we'll, we'll start in verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. I want you to recognize that how deep and profound this pain is, so significant that God sends an angel to minister to him. Now you might be saying, oh, Jesus didn't need uh, anything special. He's God. Oh, no. Let me, let me tell you something. Uh, he was God uh, in his mission, but as he walked this earth, he was fully human. He experienced everything that you have, all the pains that you have, all the sufferings that you have, God experienced in his own body. And so here is an angel administering to him in his anguish. And so Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. That is an actual medical condition. Uh, It's rare, but when people are under tremendous stress, it is possible for their sweat glands to actually secrete blood. And, and that, is, that has been recognized in medical literature. And you can see Jesus going through this again. And again, he rises from prayer and he finds them asleep again uh, because they just cannot stand up to this. So I want, I'm emphasizing this because I want you to recognize that in the garden, uh, Jesus is in control. 
All right? He didn't need, he didn't have to go to the cross if he didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't have to be arrested if he didn't want to be arrested. Jesus willingly gives himself up as the sacrifice once and for all of his own will, knowing that, that it's going to be horrible uh, and knowing the pain and anguish of this. And turn, if you would, to John chapter 12. And Jesus really gives you an insight into how he thinks about this. John, John chapter 12, verse 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. There it is. Recognizing that it is through the death, his own death himself, that there will be many manifestations that will come from that. That life itself will come from his death. Uh, And so I I, want to stress And John is stressing not the human weakness of Jesus, but the divine strength of Christ, his mastery over the entire situation. Now, uh, the arrest itself proves that Jesus is under control because Jesus actually initiates the confrontation. Uh, And I'll prove this to you if you go back and look at uh, John chapter 18 um, and Verse four, and at this point, we know that Judas has gone and betrayed Jesus. He sold Judas for 30 pieces of silver. And so historians and theologians have really researched this and wanted to say, well, why why would they have paid Judas the 30 pieces of silver? Why would they have done that? Well, they would have done that because they were afraid of Jesus, I want you to understand something. The religious rulers were now in fear of Jesus. Why do I say that? Because now he's got thousands of followers who are following him. They see the miracles. Within a week of this period of time, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And so people, everyone knows that he's raised Lazarus from the dead. Who could raise anybody from the dead after three days? Only Jesus. And so now the high priests uh, and the Sanhedrin are fearful of Jesus. They're afraid of arresting him. They've tried in the past several times without success. Um, And so Jesus is dominating. He is not subservient. He is dominating. And I'll prove that to you. Look at verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, and that's the soldiers, and we know from various theological studies that there were probably about 500 soldiers. How do you like that? For this poor uh, carpenter from Galilee and, and, and some fishermen, 500 soldiers, temple guards come up there to arrest him. Why 500? Because they were in fear. They knew that this man was different than anything that he had ever exhibited before. They knew that he had a power and authority, the likes of which that they had never seen before. So they were in fear. And Jesus is in command at this moment. And Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? As if Jesus didn't know. Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. 
and Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Oh, my. Are you getting this picture? There's 500 soldiers there ready to arrest Jesus, fully armed in every way. Uh, uh, Who are you looking for? I'm looking for Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And and in the original translations, uh, when you understand I am he, uh, it's, it's effectively the same thing as I am that I am. You understand? It is the pronouncement. I am Jehovah. I am he that the Bible said I would be. I am, I am he. I am that I am. It was so forceful coming out of his mouth that they fell back and fell down on the ground. All right? I want you to understand how significant this is. It means that Jesus is in control. This is no servitude act. This is not somebody sitting there waiting at the whim of man. What will you do to me next? What you will do to me next? It is God himself allowing himself to be sacrificed even at this moment. Oh, it is so incredibly humbling to me to think that Jesus would allow himself to be taken like that. Can you imagine having the authority to call down 10,000 angels and wipe out everybody there? And instead, in humility and submission, in order to serve God and to the, the call that he made, that he allows himself, I am he. Oh, but you see the impact that God knocked them down. They're back on the ground. Oh, my gosh, what a picture this is. Uh, when you see the aspect of God in this way, um, and so uh, he, Jesus tells them, you're looking for me. You're not looking for these other men. Let these other men go. Uh, And so these converging issues here uh, that overtook Jesus at the end show clearly Jesus is in control. Uh, And so that's the point of this lesson, that the events of tragedy are in control by the hand of God. This isn't happening by accident. These dark days are not happening by accident. Uh, And so everything that we are going to study now for the rest of the Gospel of John, uh, have bearing on this great theme. There is no tragedy for Christians. Can I get an amen on that? This is important for you to understand. There is no tragedy in your life. Will there be dark days? Yes. Will there be pain? Yes. Will there be suffering? Yes. But will there be tragedy? No because you will come to be with God the Father. Everything that will come through your life is going to lift you up. You are going to be an example to so many people. And so much of this, as we study this, depends on how we react to pain and suffering. How are we going to react to these dark days? How are we going to react when God allows certain pains in our life? You know, it seems to me that I I come across Christians, and and the, the, the famous line is, Uh, Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. You could sign up for that, right? I want to go to heaven. They just don't want to die. All right? It's like, and it's like when you talk to people like that, they have two heroes in the Bible. The first one is Enoch. Remember Enoch? You remember that from your Sunday school days, Enoch? Right? He got to be about the age of 300. He was a godly man. And they said one day, where did Enoch go? 
He disappeared. And the Bible tells us he was translated, meaning what? Meaning that his physical body was suddenly taken from here and translated to heaven. He never experienced death. Oh, that's how I want to go. I want to go like Enoch went. Or the other, the other hero that people have is Elijah. You understand that, right? I know you're nodding your head. Yeah, that's good. Elijah's good. Sitting around there talking to Elisha, all of a sudden what happens? Ooh, what is that up in the sky? It's a chariot, really. And it comes down, and he gets on it just like he's getting on an Uber. <laughs> I'm out of here. And off he goes right into heaven. Yeah, that's how I want to go. Well, let me break it to you. You're not going that way, okay? I'm sorry to tell you, all right? You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience suffering. Uh, you're going to experience death. But here's the thing. God doesn't want us to gripe and complain. God wants us to understand that he is in charge, that even as you've seen the experience of Jesus Christ in these dark days, even as you see it, you understand how God submitted himself to, to the Lord. He submitted himself because he knew that God himself had written this story, that there was going to be triumph through the tragedy. And so uh, much of how we grow as Christians and how we experience the rest of our life depends on how we respond to these lessons. And so mature Christians, you usually think of suffering uh, in one of several ways. Some of us think of suffering that, that is endured in God's own time and that he might intervene and remove it and get glory himself. That's possible. That's possible. I'm sure Jesus thought about that here. He was suffering. Maybe God doesn't want him to go to the cross. Maybe God has turned, changed his mind. Maybe he didn't have to go to the cross and suffer. Uh, and so we think about that ourselves. But when we submit to God, we battle his will. We allow ourselves to be used by him to, to, for his glory. Yes, sometimes you have to suffer uh, for the kingdom of God. Second, there are those who look upon suffering as something for God to transform itself, to transform the suffering, to change the suffering, to change it so that it is no longer involved in pain or discouragement, that God actually change it. Then there third, there are Christians effectively who simply look beyond the dark days of suffering, who look instead to the glory beyond. And they're willing to accept the suffering, knowing that, that at the end, we win. That's the lesson. In the end, we win. You will overcome it. You will be with God. You will be with your family members who have predeceased you who are Christians. You will be there to experience the glory of God. This is only a short time. Even if you live to be 100 years old. Even if you make it to that point, this is a twinkle in the eye of God when you recognize what, what uh, eternity is about. And so you need to understand that the world is divided into two groups. You are either a born again, sold out, submitted Christian, or you're not. And if you are in the former group, and you are giving yourself to God, then you know that you win, that you know that whatever you suffer, whatever you're going to go through, whatever pain and anguish you go through, whatever tragedy you experience, there will be triumph. There will be triumph. But if you're in the latter group and you've not committed to God, then instead all I can promise you is that the darkness is the darkness. 
that the pain is the pain, that the suffering is the suffering. There's no upside. There's no triumph over tragedy. Uh, this is so important to understand this, and the scriptures have spoken about this to us. And so we have to understand this, and I wanted to give you some scriptures to reflect on this. Suffering is multifaceted. It's not in one way. It's many different ways. It's mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's physical. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay, that's right, your body. Your body is effectively a jar of clay. So when you start thinking about how great you are and how much you love this life, <laughs> and we all love this life, and how blessed you are to be in Naples, and how you want to be 100, there's not, a, not one of us here doesn't want to make 100. The problem is when you get to be a hundred, I had a, a great grandfather who on his hundredth uh, birthday was, was toasted uh, in Italy. They raised a glass and they said, Chentan, which in Italian means live to a hundred. And he blew his, his gasket. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you cursing me that I can only make it to a hundred? Because that's what happens. You make it to a hundred. Now you want to make it to 110. You understand? Because that's the way we are wired. You know, we like it here. Even if we're suffering, we want to spend more time here. But it's a jar of clay. That's what God is telling you. It's a jar of clay. It is a, a really just a momentary passing, right? Um, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The Holy Spirit that you have sits there in that jar of clay, but it is the very spirit of Jesus Christ and of God himself sitting within you. We are hard-pressed on every side. You're hard-pressed on every side. It's a hard place to live. It's hard to work. It's hard to make a living. It's hard to stay healthy. It's hard to stay emotionally healthy. It's hard to stay mentally healthy. Everything is difficult. Every time you take one step forward, there's two steps back. You've come, you encounter problems with your children, with your family, with your friends. You are hard pressed. But look what Jesus says. Look what God says. You are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. How about an amen for those verses? You understand? Yes, it's hard. Yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, you're going to be perplexed. Yes, you're going to suffer mental and emotional language, but you will not be destroyed because you will triumph through the tragedy of this world. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we are we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Oh, Lord, he has put your, the life of Jesus is in you, so that even as your body is wearing out, e even as it's dissolving and devolving, even as you're going through the pain of this world, the life of Jesus sits inside you. 
and the world sees it. Yes, you're in pain. Yes, you may be dying. Yes, you may be going through pain and suffering, but God is telling you we win. We win, and I know there are a lot of people in this group right now who are hurting. I know. I'm praying for you. I see the prayer list. I bow in submission before God. I don't understand it. I don't understand why we go through this kind of thing, but all I understand is Jesus went through it. If Jesus went through it at the Garden of Gethsemane, how can we avoid it? Who are we to say we cannot take a sip from the cup of the Lord in every way? And so you see that here. The suffering is on multiple levels. It's mental, it's physical, it's emotional and spiritual. Each of us in very different ways suffer. And when suffering comes, you need to know that the Lord is with you, that God is with you. He has not abandoned you. I want you also to turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let me repeat that. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let me explain what this means. This means that suffering happens in community. This verse tells you why we are here together. This verse tells you why you need to find a church. And I know, here's the thing. Oh, yeah, church is a bunch of hypocrites. I can't go to church. It's just filled with a bunch of losers and hypocrites. They're a bunch of phonies, okay? And yet God is telling you that the very reason that we get together is that we are to share each other's burdens. When we do the prayer list that Joan so well reads and articulates, your heart should be burdened. We are here to pray for these people, to lift them up. You know, somebody had said in, in, regarding my Monday morning ministry, you know, we do the prayer list there also, and it takes about 10, 10 or 15 minutes to do that. Uh, and somebody said to me, you know, we ought to skip doing that. We ought to skip doing that because it's taking away valuable time from your preaching. I said to them, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. What makes you think that I have 10 or 15 minutes more strength to be able to speak on this, I'm lucky I'm getting through what I got now. All right? I'm just barely gasping. So don't tell me that it gives me more time. That's false. And secondly, the very reason we're called to Christ as Christians is to pray for each other. You experience the pain. You experience the suffering. And you lift each other up. That's what this is about. This is why we come to church. This is the nature of what it is. The church is not meant to be a refuge away from suffering. It is to be a refuge for those who are suffering. That's what it's meant to be. We're not meant to be lone wolves staying home, locked in our house, all right, thinking that we're getting everything that we need. If you're away from the community of the brethren and sisters, then you are missing something huge. You are missing something huge because these are the people that are going to pray for you and lift you up. And now here's the other thing. Suffering equips us for ministry. Uh, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us 
in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God so that you can remember what it was to suffer so that you remember what it was to be in pain and despair and darkness and you can go to to somebody in your family, in your church, uh, in your community and engage them with true empathy. I've been there. I know what it is to suffer, but I want you to know something. We win. You need to give that message. Verse five, just for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. That's what it is about, that you lift up the others in your church, that you pray for them, that as you have experienced the hand of God, as you've experienced the endurance and patience, that you experience that you come to others and tell them that they also will do it. You lift them up. You lift them up. And as you lift them up, you, you show what it means to be a Christian. Because in the end, we triumph through tragedy. Yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, you're going to have dark times. You're not going to leave this world without experiencing pain. But God is in charge. Just as Jesus was there being arrested, the forces of evil coming down on him, as he's praying to God, Lord, is it your will? Do I have to experience this? And yet understanding that, yes, it was the will of God. It was the very will of God. And so he bows in submission. And so that's what we do. That's the lesson for us. That's why we live these kind of lives that give glory to God. That's why I told you when I walk down the hospital halls and I walk into a room of a Christian, even a dying Christian, there's a light and a hope and an optimism that's unbelievable. And you can go into the same room in another bed and there'll be a person who's not a Christian who is dying and there's darkness. You know You've been there. You've seen that in your own family. You understand this. I mean, really, I've experienced it in some of the most profound ways. I could tell you this, that, I, that I've been there when people have been called home. I stood at the bed of my own dear mother when my mother was in a coma for three weeks, didn't say a word, didn't open her eyes. And finally, as my sister and I and my wife and my son were at her bedside, uh, and I just was compelled to pray for her, I couldn't believe that these words actually came out of my mouth. I looked at her. I put my hand on her forehead and I said, dear God, Lord, I ask you to take her home now. She was a great mother. She was a great wife, Lord. She had been such an example to us in so many ways, but don't let her suffer anymore. And I had my hand on her head as these words came out of my mouth. And with that, my mother's eyes opened. She looked at the ceiling and she had the greatest smile I ever saw that I will never forget. And instantaneously she was gone. As God himself carried her with the angels from this world to the next. We win. You understand? We win. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the lessons that you've given us, this example of Jesus at this moment of despair and darkness 
when seemingly the forces of hell are prevailing against them. And yet, Lord, you lift him up. You sustain him. And, and through, through his love, Father, he, com- he comes to understand fully what you want him to do, and he submits to you. Lord, I ask you that each one of us have this lesson imprinted in our heart, that yes, we will face dark days. Yes, we will have suffering. Yes, we will have persecution. Yes, we will have diagnoses that will sometimes humble us and bring us to our knees, but that in every case, we are yours. You hold us, and we know that through you, There is triumph through tragedy. Bless our people. Protect them this week and bring them back to continue the study of your word next week. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.